Appreciate it. That wraps it up for us tonight. Thanks for watching. Thank you so much for being here. It's 10 o'clock Eastern, and it is a holiday week, which means we're all kind of not working very hard, <laughs> but I am. <laughs> I always want to bring you the best show possible because you stayed up to watch, and um, I'm thrilled. So I hope you're having a great week with your family, or maybe you're on some vacation somewhere and having a wonderful time, and I'm just thrilled for you. Uh, I have something very special, like a little gift with a bow, and it's this. Some of the smartest people I know are in law enforcement. They're detectives or they're special agents or they're U.S. Marshals or they're prosecutors. And if you want to outwit these people, you had better be pretty sharp or really lucky or both. But uh, let's be real, most criminals are neither. And some criminals, probably more than you think, actually make it pretty darn easy for the good guys to put them away. Because the bad guys tend to make dumb mistakes. They either do it in the heat of the moment or because it's their first murder and they didn't think it all the way through or they're fugitives and they're just, you know, flat out exhausted or they are morons, plain and simple, like really simple. And I know that sounds harsh, but stay with me because um, I am dedicating this entire hour to the lowest of the low. And when I say low, I am talking about IQs like the Johnny Yates's of the world. Johnny was wanted in Florida on charges of aggravated battery and false imprisonment, but was absolutely certain that the cops would never find him. And why was he so sure? Because Johnny Yates was just dumb enough to write a message on a dry erase board on his front porch. And it read, Johnny Yates does not live here. And, you know, for good measure, the word not was capitalized and underlined, and there were two exclamation points at the end, so you just know it had to be true. Alas, the Polk County Sheriff's deputies took a good long squint at the message, and they saw right through it, and they caught Johnny hiding inside. Uh, just like the police in Memphis were able to track down a criminal mastermind, actually. His name was uh, Marika Walls. Walls allegedly broke into a house and stole some electronics and then just went ahead and dropped something on his way out. And it wasn't just anything. Uh, Marika dropped an arrest warrant that had his name on it for a whole other crime. <laughs> and I can keep going. There's the do-it-yourself license plate that got the car thief busted in California. Not only would this plate not fool anybody who isn't like legally blind, uh, it's also expired. Look closely. Check out the date in the corners. It says January of 2023. You gotta look real careful. And don't even get me started on Google searching. If anybody out there still believes that police cannot dig up your Google searches, that your Google searches can't be grounds for an arrest warrant and can't be used against you in court, then you need to pay more attention to the cases that we cover, like Melanie McGuire. Wow, that one, wow. Before Melanie murdered her husband, Bill, she did web searches for gun laws and for, quote, how to find chloroform. And I kid you not, this one was the piece de resistance. It was how to commit murder. She Googled how to commit murder. Melanie ended up stuffing Bill's body into three matching pieces of Kenneth Cole luggage. 
which is also a recurring theme among killers who think that they're being clever. Suitcases. I'm going to unpack the details in just a moment, along with the case of George Torres. George Torres Jr. Um, He went into a suitcase alive, allegedly at his girlfriend's insistence, and he never came out till he was no longer alive and needed help. That girlfriend, Sarah Boone, claimed that they were playing a game of hide-and-seek, drunk. Some criminals aren't stupid per se, but they tend to, like, outsmart themselves. I'm talking to you, Caitlin Armstrong. Caitlin fled the U.S. and uh, fled a soon-to-be-filed murder charge using her sister's passport, carrying her yoga mat. (laughs) Her sister was a dead ringer for her, so it actually worked. And once she hit the safe shores of Costa Rica, she got some cheap plastic surgery. Didn't work, though. When a U.S. Marshal sniffed her out just weeks later, that borrowed passport of her sister's and then the other fake names that she was using in country, that was what got her promptly deported. They didn't even need to extradite Caitlin Armstrong because she just had to extradite herself with her crimes. She had also kept the receipt from the plastic surgeon. I'm actually trying to think if she was like thinking about a write-off. Like You can't. You can't write off plastic surgery, but why would you keep it? And then there was the Google searching. We found out at trial that she had kept a very close eye on the people who were looking for her, and she'd also searched rhinoplasty. That's the medical term for a schnoz job. And then my favorite search was, can pineapples burn your fingerprints? Seriously, pineapple. Can you avoid leaving fingerprints if you just soak your fingies in the juice? If you're wondering, and I know you are at this point, the answer is no, not really. And then there are the Brian Walshes of the world. He still has to stand trial at some point for allegedly killing his wife, Anna, at their home in Massachusetts. It happened early on New Year's Eve. Uh, It was like New Year's Day. So like New Year's Eve into the day, 2023. Anna Walsh's body has never been found, allegedly because Brian chopped it up, put it in garbage bags, and then dumped it in two different towns. The circumstantial evidence uh, from here to Serbia, actually, where Anna Walsh was born. But someday when the 12 jurors have to look at the intent, which is all important for a first degree murder conviction, they're going to look at Brian Walsh's Internet searches. And I mean, come on, Uh, pour yourself a drink on this one. He typed in, can you be charged with murder without a body? Obviously. Uh, Then there was 10 ways to dispose of a dead body if you really need to. And removing the odor of decomposing bodies. Even Walsh's lawyer admits that those in many, many other searches are, quote, problematic. That is an understatement. The truth is everything all of these people did or are accused of doing is problematic, to say the very least. And lucky for us that most of them mess up and that the police and the feds keep the pressure on until they do. I want to begin tonight with the other big lesson that Brian Walsh learned the hard way. If you are hell-bent on murder, the act itself is only half the battle. The prisons are full of cold-blooded killers who even to score or got rid of a problem, only to find that their victims had the last laugh. (laughs) Or 
At least their victims' remains did the trick. Disposing of a newly dead body is a completely different skill set from murder itself. And it is incredibly risky, as even a professional gravedigger, like Chad Daybell, for instance, could tell you. That is, if his own murder trial weren't pending. Killers who are willing to do a lot of additional dirty work sometimes try to make their victims disappear. A student discovered a suitcase near Fisherman Island, inside a human head. Melanie McGuire never intended the head of her dead husband, Bill, to be seen again, nor any of the rest of him. Without a corpse, she could claim that Bill left their New Jersey home on his own. And if that didn't fly, she probably assumed that no corpse meant no possibility of a murder charge, which is false, but a common mistake. Melanie shot Bill dead the very night they closed on a house in April of 2004. They'd been married five years, they had two sons, and they had outgrown their apartment. Unbeknownst to Bill, who was a Navy vet and a computer programmer, Melanie, who was a nurse, had outgrown him, too. She had a new guy, a doctor at the fertility clinic where both of them were on staff, and she wanted Bill out of the way. But there's out of the way, and then there's out of the way. For nurse Melanie, dead Bill was as big of a problem to deal with as live Bill, maybe even bigger. So she cut up his body and she stuffed his parts into the family's three-piece Kenneth Cole matching luggage set. The bag containing Bill McGuire's legs, that turned up near the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay exactly one week later. Six days after that, a bigger bag containing Bill's head and torso that washed up in the same area more than 200 miles from the murder scene. There were also two bullet wounds in his chest, one in his head. The shooter hadn't bothered or maybe hadn't fought to bother to dig out those bullets. Bag number three was a smaller one and it bobbed to the surface five days after the second one did. That bag had Bill's arms in it. The victim was identified from a sketch that was actually drawn up by a facial reconstruction expert hired by the Virginia police. An acquaintance of Bill's recognized him, and Melanie soon became a suspect. Melanie actually became the suspect. And police in New Jersey, where the murders happened, they got to work gathering evidence, beginning with that beautiful matching Kenneth Cole luggage set. I showed her a picture of one of the pieces of luggage that we recovered in the bay, and she identified that as belonging to them. There was also the weapon. Bill had been shot with a 38 caliber handgun, and Melanie had bought a 38 caliber gun just two days before the murder. Bill's killer had chosen a special kind of bullet, a so-called wide cutter with a round or flat top designed for target shooting. Melanie had bought wide cutter bullets. 
plastic bags containing Bill's body parts were said to come from the same assembly line at about the same time as the plastic bags containing Bill's clothes, which Melanie had given away to a friend. And then there were the little green fibers. Little green fibers clinging to one of the bullets lodged in Bill McGuire's chest. The McGuire's had a sofa that very same color, made from that very same material. The detectives figured that Melanie had used one of the cushions as a silencer. Melanie's car was pinged at a Delaware toll station, not far from the Chesapeake Bay. And there were Google searches from the couple's home computer for undetectable poisons, state gun laws, and wait for it, how to commit murder. Oh, and the blanket that was wrapped around Bill McGuire's head. Well, that blanket was from Nurse Melanie's clinic. Amazingly, through it all, Melanie stuck to her story. The couple had fought, she said, over the new house, which Bill supposedly never wanted. And then he just smacked me. In the face? Yeah, open hand, because he probably would have broken my cheek if it had been a closed fist. Um, I looked down, and there's my two-year-old. That was from an interview Melanie gave ABC News at the outset of her trial. Had it dawned on her yet that her ham-fisted attempts to get Bill out of the way not only led straight to her doorstep, but also eliminated any chance that she could claim self-defense? Years later, she was still pleading innocent, insisting her husband had stormed out that night very much alive and very much under his own power. He said he was leaving and he wasn't coming back. And I could tell my children why they didn't have a father. Three years to the week after Bill McGuire was killed and dismembered, Melanie McGuire was convicted of first-degree murder, along with perjury and desecration of human remains. She'll be eligible for parole in 50 years when she's 100 years old. to move or conceal a body that is already dead, well, that doesn't take a whole lot of imagination. But using a suitcase to commit the murder itself? That one is rare. But it does happen, allegedly. Sarah, I can't breathe. That's on you. Sarah, I can't breathe. (laughs) It's on you. Sarah. What you are watching is George Torres Jr., inside that suitcase, trying to avoid death that was by then inevitable. Death by suffocation inside the suitcase that George's girlfriend, Sarah Boone, had zipped him into in her living room in Winter Park, Florida. She then sat back with her cell phone and taunted him while he squirmed and while his air ran out. For everything you've done to me, Sarah. For everything you've done to me. Sarah, f- you. Sarah, f- you. Sarah, <laughs> stupid. Sarah went up to bed, and the very next day, that suitcase was still. The living room was quiet. Time to call nine one one. My boyfriend and I were playing last night, and. Mm-hmm. I put him in a suitcase and we were playing. And 
like kind of hide and seek kind of thing. So I fell asleep and I woke up and he was dead in the suitcase. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Before the call ended, a paramedic could be heard telling Sarah what she already knew. Unfortunately, it's been down too long. There's nothing to Police would arrive later. And though nobody actually said the words, now let me get this straight, it certainly seemed to be implied. At some point, you put him in the suitcase? No, he got in the suitcase. So okay. he thought it would be funny to be put in the suitcase. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to joke with you and I'll zip you up and make him, you know, squirm a little bit, whatever it is. But then I fell asleep. The next day, two detectives spent two grueling hours in a very small room with two Sarah Boones. Sarah the suspect, and Sarah the apparent sadist from the cell phone videos. Why? Why did you not let him out? It's just a simple I, question. To be honest with you, I, I mean... Were you punishing him? No. <laughs> just. Well, that's what you're saying in the video. Um, this is what you get. This is yep. what you make me feel like. See, and then it's all backfired on me. Like, it's all backfired on me. Well, that's one way to put it. But three previous domestic violence arrests in two years did not help Sarah's credibility. George had one arrest for battery. He also had injuries inside that zippered suitcase, scratches on his back and neck, a busted lip, and blunt force trauma to his forehead and his skull. Sarah left that tiny interrogation room in handcuffs. Why is this happening? Because George is dead. More than three years later, she is still awaiting trial on a second-degree murder charge and reportedly planning a battered spouse defense, which may be her only hope, except George's autopsy report contained two other findings that may not work to Sarah's advantage. George Torres Jr. was 5 feet 4 and 100 pounds, small enough to fit inside a suitcase. Still ahead tonight, a jealous lover, a cold-blooded murder, an international manhunt, and a trial that proved to the whole world that Caitlin Armstrong, despite what she may have believed, was not the smartest person in the courtroom. When Dumbest Criminals Banfield Edition continues, stay with us. Case of Caitlin Armstrong. I was getting all geared up for her trial in two weeks. She is that woman caught in the love triangle, her pro-cyclist uh, boyfriend apparently sleeping with Mariah Mo Wilson, and she gets irate, allegedly goes and fires a bullet into her head right at her doorstep, and then takes off, literally across the country. And we can see her, like, going through airports, trying to elude custody for weeks and weeks on end, and eventually they catch her in Costa Rica. A and here's the thing. When I say they caught her, Apparently just temporarily, because yesterday during the medical appointment, we showed you some video. Uh, actually, sorry, we told you we wanted to show you video, but they weren't wearing body cams. And then this morning, a witness had a cell phone video of the great escape. Caitlin Armstrong goes for a medical appointment and decides to blit from the guards who are with her. And it's actually pretty intense. It's like, depending on who you talk to with the authorities, they give out a press release saying it was 10 minutes, and then they do a Twitter saying it was only a block and a half, but that would be the slowest chase ever. No matter what, there is video, okay? So 
What I'd like to show you tonight is not only the video that you've probably been seeing throughout the day, uh, but a couple of others. So let's just start with the first video, which is the remarkable witness who sees this inmate running in jail stripes. Let's roll that video. Uh, and yes, I'm with you. I thought it was fake. It's like, come on, seriously, look at that. That has to be fake. But she's handcuffed, hence it's hard to scale that fence. You, you try it. Try scaling a six-foot fence with your hands cuffed, and you're probably tired from all the running, right? That's the one we saw most of the day. But we also have video exclusively to us tonight from our affiliate KXAN in Austin. They were able to get the video right beforehand and right after. Just a little bit more to give you some context. So you can see her sprinting along the fence in the video beforehand, and the police officer runs across a parking lot. Let's make sure we're running the right video. Um, I think that is the parking lot. And then afterwards, um, this one's the one where I feel like we need Benny Hill music, and I don't say that lightly. I've read the comments in, in, some, of the, in some of the postings. They, she falls off the fence and then like runs around a tree. It's just nuts. I know the clip is short. Unfortunately, it was made as a Snapchat, not as a lengthy post, so this is all we get. But you can see like there's this crazy kind of runaround. It's nutty. But if you put all three of the videos together, you kind of get a little bit more of the feeling of what the chase was like. So we've strung all three of the videos together. I'm going to tell the control room to play that one, where all three of the videos, the one you saw today, the long one, and then there is the one across the parking lot, and then there's the going up the fence with the handcuffs and then struggling. This is the passenger backseat view where she falls off the fence and then runs around the tree. Gives you a little bit more context for like how nutty this chase was. Once again, ah, walk and a half, dunno. 10 minutes, dunno. That's the official word from the uh, police. But what I can tell you is that the woman who shot the video uh, and gave it to KXAN in Austin is Teresa Rangel. And our Nancy Liu, um, the intrepid reporter that she is, was able to track her down. And she joins me now live. First of all, I can't believe you found her and you got the extra videos too. So take me into this story um, and talking to Teresa Rangel. And what, she must have been thinking, is this real? Is this a, is this a movie being shot? Like, what was she thinking? You're exactly right, Ashley. She just instinctively started videotaping, but she didn't even know what she was videotaping or who. Now, before we talked with Teresa, we also talked to the Travis County Sheriff's Department, who also stressed to us, yeah, it was only a block and a half. It was 10 minutes, and those transport officers never lost sight of her, and they were the ones to take Armstrong back in custody. But in speaking with Teresa Rangel exclusively, she's telling us that it's a pretty harrowing 10 minutes. Now, the Sheriff's Department stressing, 8.17 a.m., the escape. 8.27 a.m., Armstrong is back in custody. And 8.36 a.m., Armstrong is on her way back to the Travis County Correctional Center. Now, those harrowing 10 minutes, Teresa Rangel explains she was pulling into the parking lot. She was on her way to a medical appointment when she saw the two deputies coming out with an inmate. Here's part of what Teresa had to say. 
But the next thing I know, I guess after I drove by, she must have taken off because the next thing I know, I see somebody running. I'm like, oh my God, this girl's really running from the cops. And I was like, hold on, let me park so I can capture this. And I parked and then I just got my camera and I just recorded and I was like, she's really running. I had no clue who she was. They just couldn't catch her. I mean, it was a guy and a, a female. It was a female and a guy and they were both trying. The guy just was struggling more. The girl took off. Um, but they both just, I was like, y'all can't catch her. She didn't even look like she was going that fast either. She wasn't going that fast either. So it was an area of a block and a half, but Ashley, the way Teresa explains it, it was a block and a half back and forth. And where we saw her climbing the fence, she came back down. It went on and on. It went so long that Teresa went to her appointment and didn't catch the end of it. She stopped videotaping because she didn't want to get in trouble with the sheriff's department. But it was a struggle. And obviously, Armstrong is pretty much a world-class athlete against, you know, two deputies who are regular transport officers, I'm told, by the sheriff's department. And you see in Teresa's video, the female officer, she stumbles and she falls. And that may be why there is the new felony charge of escape causing bodily injury. So mm. not only is she facing first degree murder, but this is a new felony count, Ashley. Great job uh, finding her, Nancy. Excellent work. Thank you for that. Um, I, I love the fact that, Welcome. you know, that Snapchat video was so short. I kept thinking, well, that must have been the moment they put her in cuffs, but it turns out, nope, uh, she was able to get away after that, too. Joining me now is Brianna Hollis. She's a reporter for KXAN News in Austin. So, Brianna, you were the boots on the ground. Uh, you were able to do a lot of door knocking and talk to the folks who not only are in that community, but might have seen that bizarre uh, sight of someone in jail stripes running by. What did the people in the neighborhood tell you about what happened there? So it was pretty interesting because when I went over there, we had just been told, we'd been given an address. We didn't know some of the details about her going into the neighborhood yet, right? But knocking on doors, asking people, you know, what they may have seen. And so many people told me, and I'm pretty sure it's because you see the video now, Looks like this did happen mainly in the parking lot, but most people in the neighborhood had no idea what happened. They did, however, recognize the name Caitlin Armstrong. As you can imagine, it's a high-profile name here in Austin, and people immediately mentioned that surveillance video back from last year of her in the airport with the yoga mat, and people are like, oh, the yoga mat girl. Yeah, I can't believe she was over here, but yeah, pretty wild to me that not a lot of people actually saw it, but again, people, once they did find out it was her, they were pretty surprised. So, but beyond the surprise, um, I would think that the next emotion that a lot of folks would have is what on earth, how is it possible for an inmate in jail stripes to be able to just get away that easy? You know, she, she's, she's charged with murder. It's serious. We might laugh. We might say it looks like Benny Hill, but... She's charged with murder. So that would be, you know, a, a, an accused murderer on the loose if she got away. And there's a school, an elementary school right down the street as well. And that was the first thing most people brought up. I know I went over there around three o'clock. That was school pickup time. So when I was talking to parents about it, they were obviously really unhappy with what happened. I spoke with a gentleman who worked construction nearby who that was the first thing he said he was like man we're right near a school if I had a kid that went there I would have been really upset he said you know yes the the, the 10 minutes it's 
in the grand scheme of things, who, who knows how far she could have gone in 10 minutes. And that's kind of got a lot of people's wheels turning, wondering how much worse this could have potentially been. Well, I always say, you know, when you're facing the prospect of life, sometimes no parole, sometimes, you know, death penalty, uh, Desperate people do desperate things. They might have never done it before, had the reputation, but, you know, they could take a hostage. Uh, it could be a child. There's all sorts of things that could have happened. So I can imagine that as we sort of look at this bizarre video, there is that underlying feeling for the community that how on earth would an accused murderer be running next to the school and next to our homes? You did a great job. Brianna Hollis, thanks for getting that exclusive video. Um, thank you to KXAN as well. Excellent work to all of you. So here's what I learned. Uh, after the chase, law enforcement officials were immediately in contact with the prosecutors who are working the murder case. And the comment I got was that they, quote, were not surprised about the escape attempt, given the circumstances leading up to the case, end quote. Okay, there's more. Um, that charge you heard earlier, it's, it's uh, escape causing bodily injury. It's a felony in the second degree. So if she beats the rap on murder, this is different. And it's a felony. So it's prison. It's not murder prison, but it is prison. But what about this in terms of the, you know, what the jury's going to hear about the murder? Does this stuff come in? Does it, does it matter? Good question. Glad you asked. Um, my source said, again, this is someone very highly placed in, connect, in connection to the Armstrong case. My source said that it is unlikely to be able to get before a grand jury before the murder case. So it's going to be separate. It'll be probably heard separately if it's heard at all. And here's the fascinating part. It's getting into the murder case nonetheless. So if, you know, if there's a jur jury out there somewhere, this little piece of business is going to be a part of the murder case. So watch this space. We're going to be covering that case uh, wall to wall, which is why I bring in Dave Ehrenberg, state attorney for the Palm Beach County uh, and also former assistant attorney general. Uh, the additional charge, Dave... It's fascinating that they're going to be able to bring it into the murder case without it being, you know, before a grand jury, even beforehand. But then there's also the Costa Rica business, like a fugitive who had to be extradited from Costa Rica with the reported surgery and all the rest. How does that factor into what the prosecutor will say to the jury? Like, what does that have to do with, you know, the alleged murder beforehand? Ashley, it's called consciousness of guilt. So you're going to tell the jury that she knew she was guilty. That's why she fled to Costa Rica, refused to come home. She got plastic surgery to disguise herself. It's not something an innocent person does. And then after she was caught and extradited, she pulled this stunt. So that's how it's going to come in, even though the actual charge will not happen until after the trial. One last quick question. I only have about 20 seconds left, though. But... Put on a defense hat for a hot minute. I know you're a prosecutor, but put on a defense hat, especially if you're a public defender. I don't know if she's going to get a public defender for this particular escape case, but it's a big steaming pile of you-know-what. How do you defend it? It's all over video. Oh, yeah, it's a terrible case uh, for the defense. There's a lot of evidence against her. She's got means, motive, and opportunity. I think the best thing they can do is to try to punch holes in the circumstantial case of the state, make the jury try to find some reasonable doubt because the burden all goes to the prosecution and all it takes is one juror to find reasonable doubt. You've got a hung jury. That's their best hope. There's no chance she's going to get acquitted. But if she gets a hung jury, she can try to cut a deal I, with the prosecutors to not try it a second maybe, time. Maybe in the murder trial. But on this one, this TV juror is like, no way, no how, no nothing. Is there anything that would hang me on this one? I see you're going to make a quick point. i oh. got 10 seconds. 
I'll be quick. I'm sorry. I don't even know if this is even going to be charged because if she's down guilty of first degree murder, they may just say it's not worth the follow up trial. That's what my source was saying. And that's why I said if it even ever gets, you know, uh, to, to trial. Dave Ehrenberg, I just love having you on because you will put on a defense hat. And that's lovely. As a non biased network, we love it when you take both sides. Thank you, Ashley. Great to be with you. Good to have you. And I'll see you again soon. When we come back, a question that trips up killers and true crime aficionados alike. Does no body mean no murder? And the answer is no way. Finding a body does make a case easier, but a murder case with no body that's attached to it is actually playing out right now in Massachusetts. And what prosecutors lack in an autopsy report and grisly photos for the jury, they more than make up for in the internet search history of the suspect. Did Brian Walsh really think he could Google, how long must someone go missing in order to collect on life insurance? Did he really think that would go completely unnoticed? When our special edition of Banfield's Dumbest Criminals continues after the break. I have is when you Google search, can you be charged for a murder without a body? I wished he just called me. <laughs> the allegations that the prosecutors make against Brian Walsh is that that's what he was doing somewhere around six in the morning, uh, the morning that his wife was dead. And the answer is yes, Brian Walsh. If that's you on the keyboard, the answer is, oh, yeah, it happens a lot. Actually, it happens more and more because forensics are getting really good. Here's the bigger question. Do the prosecutors have enough to charge you with murder one? Murder one, and you're going away in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts for life, and no, you're not going to get the death penalty. They don't have it there. But murder two, heat of passion. Oh, my God, we had a fight, and we pushed each other around, and she fell, and she hit her head, and oh, the blood, and I was so scared. That's different, and you don't go for life necessarily. You can get out in 15 years. I want to bring in Tad Tobias. He's a former prosecuting attorney who actually specializes in putting people away in cases with no bodies. So that's your specialty. And I want to dig into that with you, but not before I start with that other stuff. Because if you got a search at December 27th saying, what's the best you know, state to divorce if you're a man? That looks like premeditation to me, but not perfect, right? You can still have a fight about divorce and have an accident. And if you are then making your fifth Google search once the body is there saying, um, how long for someone to be missing to inherit? You're looking for her money within hours of her dying. Tad, is this enough for murder one? Hi, Ashley. Thanks for having me on, first of all. And yes, I do think it's enough for murder one for a couple of reasons. I agree with you. The only search we have before January 1st is the one related to divorce, which is helpful, but I don't think it's enough to kind of push you over the edge to say this is definitely premeditation. You have the following searches that, you know, 20 some searches that are all extremely damning and do show some indication of planning and deliberation. Um, even though they occur most likely after the murder happens. So you have that, which is helpful. But also, under Massachusetts law, first-degree murder is premeditation, which you touched on. It's felony murder, which I don't think we have here. That is a murder committed during the commission of a felony. But there's also a third way under first-degree murder in Massachusetts, and that's if the murder happened with extreme atrocity or cruelty. 
I think that's going to be an easier one, Tad, even more I, so. I have covered so many cases when if you don't know what the circumstances are, it's so hard for a jury to believe that we can just imagine the atrocity. I mean, if I were his defense attorney, I could think up a million ways that there could be an accidental death and a panic and a cleanup. And the, as horrendous as this cleanup is, you've got to prove to a jury he intended to kill her. Look at all this evidence. It's irrefutable. There's no reasonable doubt here that he didn't do it. I don't know, unless there's so much we don't have yet. Right. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk for first degree. I do think most nobody murder cases, they default to second degree. Because as you pointed out, Ashley, crime of passion, two people in an argument, he pushes her, he shoves her, whatever he does, she falls down, she hits her head, she's knocked out. Oh, my God, she's dead. That is the more common scenario. And certainly it is more common in nobody murder cases to have a second degree charge versus a first degree charge. The thing that helps this case is there is an overwhelming amount of evidence. And I think a prosecutor could spin this into showing extreme atrocity or cruelty, that type of thing. That said, boy, even with I thought that in degree, Casey, <laughs> I thought that in Casey Anthony and I was fooled in that, uh, in that trial. Will you come back again? There's so much more I want to talk to you about uh, when it comes to the, the details in this case and that we're only just getting more. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, Tad. Tad DeBias, great to have you. We now know that Brian Walsh is charged with murder in the first degree. Still no word on a trial date for him. Coming up. Forget about internet searches. There are other ways for a guy's own words to come back and bite him where the sun don't shine. Just ask a Nevada man who lived his life on the very edge of rap superstardom, but was never more famous than he has just become. Dwayne Keefe D. Davis, charged with murder 27 years after Tupac Shakur was shot on the Vegas Strip. Prosecutors say Davis provided the gun that killed Tupac and provided the story, too, in his own words. Next up, how not to confess to a famous murder, dumbest criminal style. So what they got you for, man? Uh, oh, yeah. Biggest case in uh, World Vegas history. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like recent? Uh -huh. September 7th, 1996. So I thought we were going to have the words there up on the screen. If you couldn't uh, understand it, they said, you know what we're here for? And he said, um, the biggest case in Las Vegas history. Woo-wee. So, look, um, maybe he was surprised he was arrested, but he'd been confessing for, like, ever, five years in books and, and, you know, YouTube videos and all the rest. And he actually gave an interview to the police in 09. 14 years ago, he pff, coughed it all up for an immunity deal. And maybe he figured he had immunity because he started talking like crazy. He talked to DJ Vlad at length, and it's really what he said to DJ Vlad that got him in all this hot water, just spilling his guts about what happened to Tupac uh, way back 27 years ago. Have a listen to, um, to this interview from July of 2019. They're talking about getting the gun, being in the Cadillac, and this starts with DJ Vlad stating what Keefe D wrote in his own book. Take a listen. Based on what the book says, uh, Zip, uh, gave you a Glock, gave you guys a Glock, and you guys tossed it in the back seat. And uh, Bubble Up was a driver, and uh, Baby Lane and Freaky were in the back seat. We were just all in the car together. Okay. This was the white Cadillac? Yeah. Okay. So you guys are driving around, 
and then you hear these girls say, Tupac, Tupac. No, uh, we coming up, uh, what's the name? What's that, Flamingo? Yeah, I think that's Flamingo. We was coming up Flamingo and uh, got to the light. We used to go uh, drink and smoke some weed, and he happened to be hanging out the window. He was hanging out the window like he was in a parade. Tupac. Yeah, he was. So what happens next? And we just came, and shit. I ain't gonna go into details like that, you know what I'm saying? Joining me now is the man who laid out that whole sequence of events more than four years ago for VladTV.com. DJ Vlad is with me now live. It's great to have you. I'm sure that you're sort of just astounded at the last week and everything that's happened, Vlad. I am more curious to ask you, if you had all of that nicely laid out, why was your interview and his book all the ticket to arrest when Keefe D himself had said all of this back in 09 to the cops to get immunity from a trafficking uh, charge. I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, Greg Kading was the one that really led that investigation and got the proper agreement from Keefe, uh, I guess it was 14 years ago. And uh, from what I understand, I interviewed uh, Greg about it. He handed it over to a Las Vegas PD and also LAPD and so forth, but no one really went forward with it. I mean, according to him, um, his theory, and of course it's just theory, was that at the time Las Vegas was trying to rebrand itself as a family-friendly destination. You know, it wasn't like the, the usual, what we see today of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. They're trying to get families and kids and go there and to actually go there and spend money. And having a bunch of rappers shooting each other in the middle of the street, you know, with a court case that was going to drag on for two, three, four years was obviously bad for business. So it seems like, according to him, that they swept it under the table until well, you know, do, you, the do you wonder happened. though if the confession to you and then the confession in his book i'm wondering mm -hmm. if if keefe d thought i got immunity from saying all this stuff when i said it to the police to get out of that trafficking charge i i gave them all this business about what happened you know on the strip with tupac do you think that keefe d thought immunity would be forever and anywhere so that he could say these things, these confessions to you and in his book and still be covered by immunity? Because we all know the only thing that you're covered is what you say to the cops, not what you say to the public. I've got about 20 seconds left. Yeah, I mean, a proper agreement is only supposed to last uh, that particular day. If you say it again, from what I understand, it can't be used against you. Um, but ultimately, I think there was him trying to clean up his name because once the audio you know, started to release, everyone started calling him a snitch and so forth. So I think there was a degree of wanting to clear up and give his side of the story, which is what the book was about, and then my interview, which happened right around the same time with the book. Well, he may have not liked what uh, Greg Kading's book said, the, the investigator, because there's some word that he was, you know, got his nose out of joint and wanted to set it straight in the public, and it's like, don't. <laughs> Better to... Hey, DJ Vlad, will you come back and talk to me again? Because the case is only just beginning, and uh, you're one sure. of the guys who knows the most about it. Sure, no problem. Thank you for having me. We will never run out of criminals and alleged criminals who are dumb, who are clever, and who are somewhere in between. But we're all out of time for tonight anyway. Keep enjoying your holiday week. It would be a crime if you didn't. Cuomo's next. The world has been focused on the war in Israel, and rightly so. I'm actually thinking that we're not calling it the right thing, by the way. 
I don't know that we should say the war in Israel. I think we should say the war against terrorism in the Middle East. We'll discuss. But many have forgotten the war in Ukraine. Let's be honest, right? I mean, I haven't covered I don't know when the last time is I covered it. I talk about more, more in my personal life than I do my professional life. And yet, the war is still raging. The body count is growing. Thousands of women have become widows. Thousands of kids have become fatherless. Two American war veterans want to change the reality for the... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.